0: Welcome to Kelly Drive's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydrivefullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, welcome to the current edition of Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Steve Augustina from the Communications Practice Group, and I'm joined by Chris Laughlin from the Communications Practice Group. Hi, Steve. Good morning, Chris. Um, Today, we're going to cover Inside the TCPA. This is going to be our latest uh, edition of that series. I encourage you to go back and look at other ones where we cover all things and all aspects of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act and the FCC's implementation of that act. Our topic today under the TCPA is a series of FCC orders that require implementation of a call authentication program called STIR Shaken. And we will walk you through what STIR Shaken is, what the call authentication is supposed to do uh, what those implementation requirements are for voice service providers, uh, what the deadlines are, and a little bit about the impact that that's going to have on uh, call originators and enterprise customers as you go through this. But our primary focus is going to be on the obligations that voice service providers have to implement this new call authentication program.
1: Sure, Steve. Before we yeah before we get into to stir shaking itself, can you talk a little bit about the FCC's anti-robocall program and how call authentication fits into that?
0: Yes, yes, I will, Chris. So there have been a number of activities that the FCC has been taking over the last three or four years to address robocalls. And it has been a multi-pronged approach as the FCC recognizes that no single approach or no single action is a silver bullet to stopping those unwanted illegal robocalls. So the FCC has a number of programs in place. It has taken orders authorizing call blocking by carriers in certain limited circumstances and a safe harbor for certain types of carrier blocking programs. Uh, It has also set up a reassigned number database to help identify the areas where a call to an intended recipient is actually going to another recipient because the number has been reassigned and the FCC is in the process of doing that. It has taken a number of strong enforcement actions against parties who are uh, originating illegal robocalls and uh, violating in particular the Truth in Caller ID Act by engaging in harmful spoofing activities. Um, And in addition to that, the FCC has been addressing a number of petitions related to the the interpretation of the TCPA and the scope of the TCPA, including a pending remand from the ACA International case at the DC Circuit that dealt with the definition of an automated telephone dialing system or ATDS and um, other related issues about customer consent. So all of those things have been going on. And at the same time, the FCC has focused on call authentication, which is a way to identify and certify who the caller is and really go after that deceptive spoofing and eliminate that practice. So that's just one prong in this broad attempt to address robocalls.
1: Okay, got it. So, and you and I actually sat down in June of 2019 for an Inside the TCPA TCPA episode to talk about uh, a rulemaking proceeding at the FCC related to call authentication are the rules that we're talking about today what we expected to see back then or did things change uh between then and
0: now yeah well well, it's certainly related back then uh, chairman pai had uh, begun a proceeding looking at call authentication and asking questions about whether or not that should be uh, mandated but the primary focus at the time was for the FCC to encourage voluntary implementation of this standard. In fact, um, the chairman had had publicly said, you know, we're going to look at this, but um, if if carriers, if you haven't implemented this by the end of 2019, I'm going to have to consider whether to mandate it. So it was sort of this threat um, out there. Rulemaking was always kind of the threat to go after uh, carriers who did not voluntarily do something to address robocalls. Um, But while that was pending, uh, the the Congress stepped in as well and and passed the TRACE Act. And the TRACE Act has a number of mandates to the FCC on things that it needs to do to address robocalls. But most significantly for this is that the TRACE Act explicitly mandated that the FCC require stir shaken uh, on IP networks, and to do so within 18 months of the implementation of that act, so that deadline from that was passed in the end of 2019. So it was by the end of June in 2021. So the proceedings we're looking at now are explicitly implementing the Trace Act requirements that Stirshaken be mandated. So what Stirshaken is, it's a framework for providing authentication information about calls that are being delivered. And the two essential features of Stir Shaken are that it's intended to provide authentication of who the caller is so that we know that they are who they represent that they are and the number that the caller is using so that we know that they're entitled to use that number. In other words, they're not spoofing illegally. They may be spoofing a number, but they're spoofing a number that they're entitled to use. And it functions in in a way that the originating callers are supposed to put this information into the stream on the call flow. And then it gets passed along through the multiple carriers that are involved. And at the terminating end, the terminating carrier is validates that information and then delivers an authenticated call to the end user. That way, end users who are receiving calls can have that trust in the network. So that's what the framework does. And Chris, I'd like to turn to you and... Um, have you just walked through what the FCC is requiring the voice service providers to do in order to implement that?
1: Right, So, and as you said, the, it specifically requires that voice service providers implement stir-shake-in in the IP portions of their networks, and we'll talk a little bit later about non-IP portions. But for IP portions, the, the duties uh, depend on where the uh, service provider is in the call stream. Um, as you said, originating voice service providers have to authenticate calls. If the call remains on their their network, they also have to um, uh, uh, verify the call. When it's terminated, um, they also also have to authenticate calls that they will exchange with other voice service providers. Intermediate providers have to pass that authentication information along to the next um, service provider in the call stream unaltered. Uh, They also have to authenticate unsigned calls that they receive, which might be from Uh, an international destination or from a non-IP network, but they do have the option to participate in the traceback program instead uh, of that authentication process. For terminating voice service providers, um, as you said, they they have to verify the calls that they receive from others for termination to end users. So I know we've talked a lot about voice service providers, but is, who does that really cover uh, in practice?
0: Yeah, yeah. and it, it's intended to be broad, it, it is broad. As you notice that, as you said, right, the, the specific duties depend upon where, what your function is, but the who part of that is very broad. It's broader than just common carriers and it's broader than interconnected VoIP providers, which are the two major entities that have um, obligations. Instead here, the FCC defines voice service providers as any voice service that's interconnected with the Public Switch Telephone Network or PSTN and uses North American number and plan numbers. So it includes things like fax transmissions and fax services um, and it includes one-way VoIP services in addition to those interconnected or two-way VoIPs. So it is pretty broad, pretty much anything that is voice or voice capable is intended to be covered by this framework. And then Chris, we we mentioned sort of the core deadline is June 30th of 2021, Um, but um, there are some changes and exceptions to that. So can you walk us through um, the various deadlines that are set forth?
1: Right. Yeah. So for small voice service providers, they actually get an extra two years. And small service providers are um, those that have less than 1,000, excuse me, 100,000 subscriber lines. Um, Voice service providers who are not able to obtain SPC tokens, service provider uh, code tokens uh, that would allow them to authenticate calls, uh, have an indefinite um, uh, exemption from complying with STIR shaken until the provider is capable of getting one of those tokens. Uh, Additionally, uh, services subject to pending 214 discontinuances as of June 30th, 2021, uh, also get a one-year extension to June 30th, 2022, and then uh, the non-IP portions of networks have an indefinite um, extension. But you know, as I mentioned, there are, are some other obligations which we'll touch on. In addition, the um, the Wireline Bureau can provide case-by-case exemptions um, or extensions, um, which we'll see if uh, any any providers.
0: Uh, Applied for that,
1: and what they decide on those.
0: Yeah, as we as we're recording this, the deadline is coming up soon, um, where the FCC expects providers to request, um, and then the Wireline Competition Bureau would respond by um, March 30th on those. So we should know fairly quickly on that. Um, Chris, you mentioned the IP, the non-IP networks portions of the network, and we know that. No carriers, 100% IP at this point, right? Um, so, um, what are what are carriers supposed to do with the non-IP portions of their networks?
1: Well, one option is to upgrade the entire network to IP by June 30th, 2021. Um, uh, obviously, there are probably some limitations on that happening. But uh, so, the alternative here that the commission gives is that they can. Uh, service providers can participate in the development of a call authentication uh, standard for non-IP calls. And there's been some discussions about what that might look like, but nothing has has, uh, taken off just yet. Um, That participation can be direct or indirect through a a trade association, for example. Um, But uh, in addition to that, non-IP calls must be subject to a robocall call mitigation program. And we'll talk about how uh, that applies for non-IP calls and, and other providers as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. let me just emphasize, I, I know it's not possible in all, all circumstances to upgrade to IP. There are still a number of um, originating carriers that will only interconnect in uh, TDM networks. And while that's rare, it, it still does exist at this point. Um, But clearly from the FCC's view, upgrading to IP is the best strategy and the preferred strategy. If you upgrade, it moves into this stir-shaken framework, which has very well-defined protocols. If you don't upgrade, then we need an authentication standard for that. And that's under development. So you have these obligations to participate in that development and to go through a robocall mitigation, which is sort of a, a second step, or you know, second choice in terms of how to attack this problem of illegal robocalls.
1: Um, right. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the robocall mitigation programs that, that have to be implemented?
0: Sure. Sure. So so what the commission is um, doing here is it is guidance that's in the Trace Act, but there's really not much definition on what robocall mitigation covers. So what the FCC has said is, we're not gonna mandate specific actions. We're gonna require the carriers to identify to us what they're doing and explain what your robocall mitigation program is. Instead, what the FCC has done is set forth the goals or the required elements. And there are three required elements in a mitigation program. First, that service provider must take reasonable steps to avoid originating illegal robocall traffic. Secondly, that provider must commit to respond to industry traceback group requests because those are going to be unauthenticated calls. So traceback is going to be the primary way of identifying who the caller is. And then thirdly, that provider must then cooperate in investigating, and this is important, in stopping any illegal robocallers. So those are the three elements of the program. The FCC has spoken favorably about implementing reasonable call analytics in in any program, but it hasn't required that or required any other particular steps. So the the carriers themselves are going to have to look at their networks and figure out the best way to stop illegal robocalls that are coming from their non-IP portions of the networks.
1: So I also understand there's a a certification requirement. Um, What does that entail?
0: Yeah, that's um, under development, but it is coming very soon. So what the second report in order says is that all voice service providers are going to be required to provide a certification that um, explains their implementation status of stir-shaking. And if you have... 100% 100% implemented stir-shaken, that's really all that needs to be in that certification. But if stir is not fully implemented in a voice provider's network, for whatever reason, then that voice service provider must explain the contents of its robocall mitigation program. So it will have to say what type of exemption it has received. Um, it will have to identify the specific steps it's taking to avoid illegal robocalls in your network, how you're doing it. You will have to have a commitment to fully and timely respond to those traceback requests and a commitment, um, for, to cooperate in investigating and stopping those illegal robocallers. And the important thing about this is that these are going to be specific statements that the FCC could verify, um, after the fact, and in, in theory, could at least take enforcement action against the company if you don't live up to the promises that are set forth in the robocall mitigation program. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's you know it's worth highlighting. Um, you've you've kind of done it a couple times, but just to kind of get get the mindset here that uh, except where stirsaken has been fully implemented. Uh, service providers are going to have to have a robocall mitigation program. And that's going to cover pretty much everyone. Um, And really that program has to be meaningful. They have to take actions to stop um, initiating illegal robocalls on their networks and be ready to stop those robocalls. So this is sort of different from um, what voice service providers might have experienced in the past as common carriers where they pass through every call uh, now there's going to be this sort of expectation or obligation that they they actually take steps to prevent these uh, illegal calls from going through, and this gets enforced uh, through the carrier. So ninety days after the certification requirement due date, uh, intermediary or intermediate providers are going to be prohibited from accepting calls from a service provider that hasn't filed. Um, a certification. So file certification. And uh, if you're not uh, complying with that, the FCC can take enforcement action. And if you don't file the certification, uh, intermediate providers don't have to take your calls. Before we uh, wrap up, Steve, can we talk a little bit about how stir-shaking applies to foreign originating calls? These tend to be a major source of, of unlawful robocalls.
0: Right, right, certainly, and, and a lot of those foreign-originated calls right now are coming through. It's believed coming through uh, VoIP gateways, um, and often one-way VoIP gateways. So that's part of the reason for the expansive definition there. But um, foreign service providers um, have limited obligations to the FCC. The FCC actually has has some somewhat limited jurisdiction over those foreign service providers. So what we have broad rules in general, there aren't many things that are mandatory for the foreign service provider, um, but a couple of different things to to point out and how this is going to work. First, if that foreign service provider is connected to the PSTN and is originating numbers using the North American Numbering Plan, um, then they are subject to the FCC's rules and will be subject to at least the robocall mitigation certification. The FCC has um, also tried to encourage foreign service providers to file a certificate, even where they're not obligated to do so. Um, And that has been done by um, that robocall mitigation program and the requirement that intermediate providers aren't allowed to accept calls from providers who don't file a certification. So those foreign providers, if you're providing it directly into a U.S. intermediate provider, you're not gonna be able to do that if you don't voluntarily file the certification. You have to go through some indirect methods and that um, could be cumbersome. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things is that a lot of these foreign carriers and and, uh, those providers who are serving those carriers, providing international gateways, are very interested in participating in the stir-shaken. Approach, but there are some limitations to that. Now, first, there have been difficulties in obtaining the SPC tokens. In fact, until very shortly before we recorded this, um, the requirement was that service providers have uh, numbering authorization to assign North American Numbering Plan numbers. Um, that's gonna be changing. Uh, the. Governance authority for stir shaken has changed its approach on that and has announced that uh, if you merely file the robocall mitigation program certification and file in that database, you'll be able to get the SBC token. So there's been a number of issues there. There also are issues related to the international standards because the standards themselves um, are under development in foreign countries. And many of those will be different than stir shaken itself. They'll all be called authentication, but there are um, efforts to try to figure out how you will handle those handoffs when they're being authenticated under different types of programs. So um, we will go through those. So there's, if you're an international provider, I think the answer is there's more to come and probably a lot. Right.
1: Right. Well, and, and I guess to wrap up, you know, what what can we expect from the FCC uh, on robocall mm-hmm. mitigation overall, particularly with the the change in administration that's coming up?
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, well the, the change in administration probably will not change the uh, rhetoric very much and maybe not change much of the approach here. Um, anti-robocall has been a bipartisan issue, and so... Uh, both parties are determined to do something to stop the flood of unwanted calls and illegal calls and to restore trust in the system. So, I think that um, you will continue to see a push towards um, addressing the TCPA issues and addressing call authentication in particular. Um, as we've highlighted in this, there are a bunch of issues that are still to be determined um, about things are going to be handled in the non-IP portions of the network, what the mitigation programs will look like, how we're going to handle some international calls. So those types of things are still under development. I want to highlight a couple of other things that are also under development here and I think should be watched out for, um, some of which may become future inside the TCPA uh, discussions here. First one is that the North American numbering Council has issued best practices for voice service providers in um, providing call authentication. So the, the actual standards on what you're supposed to, to do, how to gather that information, etc. That was reported to the FCC as mandated by the TRACE Act. The FCC has sought comment on that um, and has received comment on it. It is presumably... The FCC is going to go forward at some point and, and endorse those best practices. But that is probably going to be a, um, a, an ongoing document as things are developed and we see ways in which um, you can provide that certification, what, the, what, what uh, standards need to be required for each of the certification levels that are, um, are provided under stir-shaken. So that's number one. The number two thing I want to identify here is that with respect to the the TCPA more directly, a definition of an ATDS has been pending with the FCC since the ACA remand, um, but it has also been working its way through the courts as multiple courts of appeals have been forced in class action litigation to uh, address that definition. And we have come up with um, conflicting definitions in different courts. So uh, whether or not, w- what capabilities are required to make that an ATDS differs depending upon the um, the circuit that you are in. Uh, but the U.S. Supreme Court has stepped in now and they have taken a case involving Facebook um, that will be argued in early December and therefore probably addressed in um, early sometime by the spring of 2021 that will provide hopefully greater clarity as to the, the scope of an ATDS and what types of calls are automated calls that are subject to those restrictions. So we will see those things um, coming up fairly soon here.
1: It right, sounds like we have, we'll have enough, uh, enough to talk about for future episodes.
0: We, we certainly will. And, and we intend to, uh, to come back as things continue to develop here. So, um, Chris, I want to thank you. It's been a good conversation. And I want to thank uh, all the listeners for listening to this and, and for following Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum podcast series. We, we hope that you appreciate these and find these helpful. And we look forward to, to speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.